Well, this Advent season, we've been talking a lot about traditions. Um, and some of the traditions we've been talking about are, are meant to add to our Christmas experience, to help our Christmas feel maybe a little more familiar as certain things come around year after year. And we look forward to these things because they bring joy to us and they help us to uh, embrace the Christmas season, anticipate the Christmas season a little bit. Perhaps you would even say that these traditions make Christmas feel more like kind of an annual homecoming into this time of year. So far this Advent season, we've talked about uh, decorating, we've talked about the nativity, we've, we've talked about ugly Christmas sweaters last week, uh, we've talked about different church services that happen, and one other one we're going to add to that today in, in a bit of an indirect way is that our Christmas experiences and traditions quite often are enhanced by the various types of media that we engage in. You know, one of the most common you're very familiar with would be music. There, there's a whole genre of music dedicated to the holiday season that we despise in July, but then it suddenly tops the charts in December. You know, Spotify, the music service company Spotify, since they first launched, they have their top 13 Christmas songs have been streamed over a billion times through them alone. And the number one song is, uh, is by Mariah Carey, All I Want for Christmas is You which it turns out she actually wrote in about 15 minutes back in 1994, and for that 15 minutes of work, it has brought her in over $60 million in royalties. That's a huge amount for that one Christmas song. So there's a whole genre that's very popular for just a couple weeks during the whole year. There's also movies, where this time of year there's nightly classics that come on, and then Christmas Eve, if you leave the TV on, they're just playing movies like all around the clock the whole time. It's also a really big season for the Hallmark Channel, any Americans with the Hallmark Channel, those heartfelt movies that are there. Things like Miracle on 34th Street, It's a Wonderful Life, The Christmas Carol, Elf, right? Elf is a classic now. Home Alone, one and two, but definitely not three and four, right? You may not even know there's a three and four and you don't need to. They're not worth watching. But there's many, many others as well. But then there's the TV shows that we, we watch this time of year as well. And now how we watch TV has changed a little bit with the on-demand service that exists. But around this time of year, we start to see the networks playing more of the Christmas traditions. And we might even find a category on Netflix or on our on-demand service that, that has a category dedicated to these Christmas specials. Like, like Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, uh, Frosty the Snowman, How the Grinch Stole Christmas. Uh, how about Mr. Bean's Christmas? That's a, that's a good one. <laughs> that's a must every year. But among these generational classics, we find one that probably tops them all, and that is the Charlie Brown Christmas special that comes on. Now, if you haven't watched that yet this year, I suggest you add it to your Netflix watch list for the next couple of days here, and gather some friends together, gather some family together, especially the kids, and make an evening of it to watch this together, to watch this 1966 classic from the mind of Charles Schultz, who tells the story of the Peanuts gang, whose central character, Charlie Brown, who is the eternal Debbie Downer, is seeking the true meaning of Christmas. And he's looking for the true meaning of Christmas in people and in cards and in presents, and, and he's looking for it in Christmas pageants. But everywhere he looks, he's just not satisfied with what he's finding. And it actually reaches a point where he's not just satisfied, he actually becomes uh, overwhelmed by the materialism of Christmas that he's finding. And so he goes to his friend Lucy, who offers sage advice, and decides that he should go and direct the kids' Christmas pageant that year. 
So he thinks this would be a great idea, and he goes and he tries to direct them, but they're not cooperating with him, and so he gets extremely frustrated, and in his frustration, he decides to leave and go find a Christmas tree, a Christmas tree that will be meaningful to everybody at the play. And so he goes to a tree lot, and in the tree lot, amidst all of these, these fake trees, these aluminum trees, these trees that are just so perfect, he finds this small, sparse, sickly-looking little tree. Kind of, well, kind of like this one. Kind of like that. And so he takes this little tree back to the play where all the kids are. And what do they do? They're excited. They're happy. No, they don't. They start mocking him. They start teasing him. They start picking on him. And they start picking on this tree. And so at the end of the rope, as they all kind of leave the stage laughing at him, he turns to his friend Linus And he goes, Linus, everything I do just turns into a disaster. I guess I really just don't know what Christmas is all about. And then he cries out in frustration, isn't there anyone who knows what Christmas is all about? And then Linus, who curiously has been there through the whole episode, but has remained silent to this point as his friend Charles struggles in this painful moment, goes, sure, Charlie Brown, I can tell you what Christmas is about. And then Linus steps to center stage. The lights drop, all attention turns to him, and he recites the words that Luke recorded in Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 14. Lights, please. And there were in the same country shepherds, abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them. And they were sore afraid, and the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. That's what Christmas is all about, Charlie Brown. You know, maybe this cartoon has lost some of its appeal over the decades. But every time ABC puts us in the 8 o'clock time slot at Christmas, it is number one on the charts. It beats out everything else, year after year. It's beloved by all generations. And I think in part because of the simplicity of the presentation, but also the simplicity of the message. You see, when you watch this show from 1966, it's the most simple of animation compared to today's modern CGI. It's the most basic of scripts compared to today's very complex narratives. It's just average voice actors. There's no high-priced celebrities doing voices like you find today. There's no special effects for the eyes, but it leaves this special affect upon our hearts, which I think mirrors the story that it points towards, a story of simplicity, a story of humility found in the first Christmas, which is not at all what you would expect either. 
It's because most regal figures who are born are born to great ceremony and to great celebration. But Jesus, the most exalted figure ever born, has the humblest of births. Rather than being born in a palace of a king, he's born in the stable and the manger of livestock. And sure, there's an angelic choir that herald his arrival, but they herald that to the simplest of people, to shepherds who are keeping watch over sheep in the fields. And I think Linus was right, and I hope we'd all agree, that that's what Christmas is about. It's about the birth of Jesus Christ. And so on this final Sunday, before we have Christmas Eve and then New Year's Eve, and then it's 2018. So on this final Sunday, I invite you to join with us in the traditional telling of the very first Christmas. Now, we read some of these verses earlier in this service. We read Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 7, that gives sort of a historical setting for the birth of Jesus. It happened during a time of, of great success in the Roman Empire. There was significant expansion that had taken place, and, and they were being ruled by what is arguably considered the greatest emperor of the entire of the entire empire. It was a golden age of Roman literature and of Roman architecture. It was also a time of what they referred to as Pax Romano, which, it, which re means Roman peace that was known throughout the whole area. And because of the great expansion of the empire, because it had taken over the entire Mediterranean world at this point, they needed to determine just how vast the empire was. So they call a census, which is generally used to replenish the military and to replenish the treasury after so many years of war. And they do so through taxation. And it required that everybody return to their hometown in order to go back to the place where they have roots, where they're known, so they can register in those places. And now Joseph, who was betrothed to Mary at this point, who also happened to be nine months pregnant, heads to his home region. Because, you see, he was living in a place called Nazareth, but he was actually from Bethlehem, which also happened to be the birthplace of King David, of whom was his ancestor. Now, Mary didn't have to go. Joseph could have simply gone by himself and, and just been the representative for the family. But I think we can safely assume that he wanted to go because he didn't want to miss the birth of Jesus. Like any good father, he wants to be there for the arrival of this child. But considering the, the circumstances around the pregnancy, I, I think it's reasonable to assume that he also anticipated something incredible was about to happen, and he didn't want to miss that either. Now, this small town of Bethlehem had exploded in population due to the census. And by the time Mary and Joseph arrived, there's nowhere left to stay. There's no room left in families' houses and friends' houses, not even rooms left in inns. And so that evening, this young couple settles into a warmer, drier shelter, a cave where animals were kept. And that evening, Mary, alone with Joseph, gives birth to a son. And as they have been told to do, they named him Jesus. The birth of a king, so simple, in such an average town, and in such a strange location. You see, Jesus' first hours on earth were spent in a manger. In such a mundane manner was he born. But in that same area, we're told that there were shepherds who were keeping watch over their fields, over their flocks in the fields by night. And now these were men who had dedicated their lives to the care and to the protection of sheep. Sheep who really had no idea that these shepherds had sacrificed any hope of, of prestige. They, they had sacrificed any hope of wealth. They had sacrificed any hope of ever smelling good, any point in their lives. 
which seems like a lot to give up for some four-legged cotton balls. But these animals were actually being raised for the purpose of temple sacrifice. So in a way, these shepherds hadn't given their lives to sheep, but they had given their lives in the service of the Lord. Now as Linus proclaimed to the Peanuts gang, on that pitch black, silent night, suddenly the sky was, it was just broken as an angel of the Lord appeared to them and said, and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terrified. Now, fear was a natural response whenever an angel suddenly appeared before somebody. I think we can understand that that would be a surprising event. And so the angel greets the shepherds in what had become the typical angel greeting. Don't be afraid. Because I bring you great news. I bring you great news that will cause great joy for all people. Because today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah. He is the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find the baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. And if the sky wasn't already a marvel to behold, it is suddenly filled with a multitude of angels who are singing a hymn of praise saying, Glory and excelsius Deo, which means glory to God in the highest. And then they add to that, and on earth, peace to on those whom his favor rests. And they're recognizing God's glory. They're recognizing God's majesty in the making of this first announcement that in Jesus Christ, peace is available to all people. To all people who have placed their trust in him, that is. You see, Rome may have brought a form of peace to their entire empire, but they did so through violence. and They did so through control. But they were powerless to bring peace to the hearts and to the minds of humanity. Rome was powerless to bring peace between God and humanity throughout the whole world. This was the work of a Messiah. This was the work of a Messiah of whom it was prophesied would be the Prince of Peace. And so these average Joes, whose past excitement was really limited to the occasional predator looking for a midnight lamb chop, they, they sit for a moment in amazement at what had just occurred. But it doesn't take long before they look at each other and they, they talk it over and in seconds they agree that they must go check this out for themselves. And so they hurry off. They hurry off to find Mary and Joseph and they find the baby lying in a manger. And after seeing and confirming everything that the angels had said, they then go out and they start spreading the word to everybody who would listen to them to tell them about what had happened. Now, I've always found this to be a curious statement. Because Bethlehem, while it's not a large place, as we've referenced a moment ago, it was busting at the seams with people because of the census that had been called. It was overflowing with people to the point where anything that even resembled a shelter was full. So how did they find the child? How did they find Mary and Joseph? You know, perhaps, perhaps it was divine guidance. Maybe. Or I've always wondered, I wonder if it was more like a parable that Jesus would tell a few decades later. A parable about a woman who had ten coins and loses one. And then she frantically searches she searches her house where she lights a lamp and she sweeps the house. She overturns everything until she finds it. And then when she finds it, she calls together all of her friends and she calls together her neighbors and she says, rejoice with me because I have found it. I have often wondered if, if these shepherds were so enthralled with the thought that the Messiah had come that they were racing through town, turning on lights, lighting torches and peeking in windows and disturbing people who are going, what are you looking for? And without answering, they'd race off to the next place until they found Jesus, just as it had been told to them. 
And then they returned to those who had asked them. And they proclaimed to them, we have found him. Finally, it has happened. Just as the angel had told us it would be. A savior is born. I wonder if that's how they found him. You know, but it's interesting to consider the different responses to this good news that we find in all the people. You know, we've talked about the shepherds briefly, where they were seeking confirmation and they wanted to confirm what they had been told. And then when they find Jesus, they just explode with joy because that personal experience that they had with Jesus was so profound for them that it just impacted them to the core of their being. So much so that it propels them to go and share this news of Jesus with everyone that they bump into. We also read in verse 19 that, that Mary ponders all of these things in her heart. As you read those words, you can kind of get that sense of that tenderness of a mother who loves her son, who, who knows he's special. But, but every mom thinks her son's special, right? But no, in this case, really. Like, he was really special. To the point where Mary looks at him in the eyes as he sleeps and wonders, what do your days ahead look like? What do these days hold for you in these season that's ahead of you. But then there's the townspeople, where we're told that, that all who heard what the shepherds said were amazed. Now, this word amazed that, that Luke uses in his telling of the story literally means to wonder, to, to try and make sense of an incredible story that they've just been told. Notice what it doesn't say. It doesn't say everybody instantly automatically believed. Rather, I think what's trying to be truly conveyed here is that people were trying to comprehend. People were trying to decide for themselves. What, what, where's the truth in this story? What's maybe not true? You know, but they could tell that something incredible had definitely happened. You know, there are some translations that use a different word that I, I personally like the best. They, they use the word marveled. That people marveled at what they had heard. You see, because from the shepherd's excitement, People knew something had happened. You couldn't deny something had happened. These were not guys who often would run into town crying wolf. Something significant had happened to them. They had seen something. So there was truth in the story. But it's hard to understand. And I think sometimes it's hard to understand because a lot of us don't have a category with which to relate to the story that is being told. Like consider, for example, when you look up at the night sky. And you see, especially in the country, you just see the sky full of stars. Now, we know the stars are there. We know that there's truth that there are stars in the sky. But can we really fathom that idea? Can, can our minds really wrap itself around the reality, especially in, in terms of how large they are and, and of how far away, how the distance of those stars are? Take, for example, our own sun, which is considered just average in size and happens to be the closest to us. Can, can our minds really grasp the concept that this average star that's closest to us, that you can fit 1.3 million Earths inside that sun? Can we, can we fathom that? Do we really understand what it means to be 150 million kilometers away? Like some of these thoughts, we look at them and we, we believe them. We don't question them. But do we really have the ability in our brain to grasp them, the magnitude of that statement? Of something being 150 million miles away. 1.3 million Earths inside of the sun. You see, when it comes to God, the similar thing can happen. 
where there are many people who, who believe in God, but, but they believe that, there's, that God is unknowable, that God is beyond comprehension. That's what we refer to as being agnostic. Somebody who, who believes that there is a God, but he's beyond comprehension, he's beyond knowledge. And you know what? That would be true. They would be right in that belief if God hadn't revealed himself. If God hadn't taken the step to reveal himself. And if he hadn't revealed himself in a manner to which we can relate to. And he revealed himself in so many ways. One of which was in the simplest and most humblest manner. One we can all definitely relate to. The birth of an innocent baby. Who lived, who breathed, who ate, who slept. And yes, even one day would die. And so as Christmas rolls around each year, do you still marvel at the reality that God chose to reveal himself to humanity as a baby in the simplest and most humblest of circumstances? Does that still create within you a sense of joy, a sense of excitement in your heart as you come to remember that Jesus Christ is Emmanuel, that Jesus Christ is God with us? That God has revealed to us. God has revealed among us. God has revealed himself for us. And even though this might be so familiar and common to all of us who are sitting here, never take for granted this story, especially in this post-Christian world in which we live. Because the story needs to be told. It needs to be proclaimed in our homes, in our coffee shops, in our churches, and yes, even on primetime TV through the Charlie Brown Christmas. Because what the angels announced to the shepherds that night, they announced on behalf of all humanity. The shepherd's journey should be everyone's journey as we go to see what God is up to in Jesus Christ. You see, who he was as a baby is nothing compared to who he is today. His birth and the testimony about his birth, the things surrounding it, they tell us he was special. But his life, his ministry, and certainly his death and resurrection secure the fact that he is the Savior he was proclaimed to be. And that is the good news. That is the good news that brings joy for all people. And that's the good news that the shepherds experienced that first Christmas night. You see, after all this had happened, in verse 20 we're told that after the shepherds had seen Jesus for themselves, after they had had that experience, after they had gone out and told everybody what had occurred, that they returned to their fields. They went back to their fields, back to their sheep, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and for all the things that they had seen. You see, what they had heard and what they had seen was revealed to them, and it showed them that God was moving among them. You know, he had promised years earlier that a Messiah would come, and he had kept his word. The angels had told them that they would go and they would see certain things, and it was true. And there's no doubt that they went back to those fields wondering what the future now held for them. They knew the past. They knew the prophecy. They knew the present because they had seen it fulfilled. And it left them wondering, what does tomorrow hold in light of Jesus Christ? You know, as this year comes to a close on us here at West Meadows. I too wonder what the future holds for us. 
But I also want to invite us to reflect back on all that has happened here among us this past year. All that God has accomplished this past year. And so I posed this question to the staff earlier in the week. So guys, what, what can we give glory to God for? What has happened this year that we can, like the shepherds, go back glorifying God for all we have heard and for all that we have seen? And it didn't take long. The answers just kind of kept coming until we had filled a whiteboard in the conference room. And I just want to share some of those highlights with you as we, as we move to close this message today. You know, some of the things we came up with is the fact that there has been, there has been growth, identifiable growth in so many areas of the church. You know, through our newcomers' lunches, we have hosted dozens of people who are new to the church or who have been coming through visiting. Our children's ministry has reached its capacity in its current physical space. Our youth group has outgrown the youth room to the point where they've had to move into the atrium for their Bible studies on Wednesday night. We've also seen an increased connection to our community. We have a growing relationship with our community league, and there are new opportunities coming up all the time that we can engage with the community league and therefore with Lewis Estates and Secord and Rosenthal around us. Rentals are up, and that means that there are hundreds of more people coming through this building, but also coming into contact with our people. There's also great excitement and anticipation. There's increased cooperation in all areas of leadership. Staff morale is extremely strong. And there is this increase in organization. There's an increase in, in planning and in fruitfulness that comes out of our ministries. The elders board is growing. It is healthy and it is united in direction and purpose. The next team which has been formed is meeting and making progress and sensing God's direction that God is leading us to what his vision is for us as a congregation in the months and the years ahead. And there is this positive atmosphere that I've experienced, and so many of you come to me and share with me that you feel it too. There's this positive atmosphere amongst the congregation and this energy in the foyer that something is happening. Our ministries are bearing good fruit as people are growing in the relationship with God and with others. We're seeing an increase in volunteerism. Small groups are gaining momentum and new ones are being launched in the new year. About a dozen people have formally committed to join us in membership this past year. And we have walked with people who have then given their lives to the Lord. And we have had 13 people proclaim that publicly through baptism as the kingdom has been grown this past year. And we believe that this is just the start. We believe that even greater things are ahead for us in 2018. And I want to extend gratitude to all of you for helping, for praying, for supporting, for giving but we have to extend all glory to God who is the beginning and the end of all these things. So can we give God praise for all he has done this year? Absolutely. But here's the thing, as amazing as all that is, there's one more thing. There's one more thing we want to let you know about. And actually, I want to invite Paul Stiles again, mentioned the chair of our board to come. And he's going to share with you Another piece of great news that God has been doing among us that is reason for great celebration as well. So uh, I've been with the church a relatively short time uh, in comparison to the 50 plus years that it's been around. I'm not even 50 years old yet. I'll uh, brag about that. Um, but um, God has been doing a neat thing uh, through our church over many, many years. And uh, I get the privilege and honor of coming along at this point uh, in the church's history and bringing this, this good news forward to you. 
Um, really, back in 1990, the people of Meadowlands Baptist Church took a step of faith in buying the 10 acres that would one day be this facility. And uh, some of those people are still sitting with us here today, uh, while others have been called elsewhere or home to the Lord. When the doors opened in 1993, with the completion of the office area, kids' space, and the atrium, the 5.8 million that it took to purchase the land and complete the facility had been accounted for through the sale of land, contributions from the congregation, a debenture program, and a $1.8 million mortgage. Last year, we were able to uh, repay all of the debenture debt that remained, leaving us with just the mortgage uh, to continue paying down. And today, I'm pleased to announce, extremely pleased to announce, that West Meadows has received a generous gift that is going to make a significant contribution to eliminating all of our long-term and short-term debt. Ladies and gentlemen, with your help over the next few weeks, for the first time in the history of West Meadows, we are going to be 100% debt-free. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah, let's praise God for his steadfast faithfulness and provision to us over these years. We're not debt-free entirely today, but we are so close. Close enough that your church leaders would like to present an opportunity for us all to participate in taking the final steps across the finish line so we can be free and clear in the new year. So I want to talk about that for a second. We want to give opportunity today for everybody to respond in praise. And we're going to, we're going to pray in a moment, and then we've got the worship team prepared to come up and lead us in another set of, uh, of, of songs of praise and thanksgiving back to God. But there's a third thing I want to encourage you and challenge you with. You see, this puts us in the range where we are in the last stretch of truly being 100% free of all long-term and all short-term debt, where we can truly find ourselves in January saying we are free and clear in the new year. And leadership, when we talked about how to use this, how to apply this, felt that we wanted to bring this challenge to all of you so that everybody could join in helping us to accomplish this milestone. So here's where we find ourselves. We find ourselves... $35,000 away from being completely clear of all of that. And for those of you who, who, who reflect upon these things, you know the freedom that that brings for the ministries and for the people and for the power that can be accomplished through this church. And so we want to challenge you to join with all of us in considering what can you do above and beyond your regular tithing to help us clear that up. So that in the new year, when we plan a celebration, because our mortgage is gone, and we are going to be having a celebration, we can all participate in that glorious moment together. It doesn't matter how small or how large you can contribute. I just want to encourage everybody to find how they can be a piece of looking after the small amount that remains. So what we've done is there's two Sundays left. There is Christmas Eve and there is New Year's Eve. Then it's 2018. And so during those two Sundays, you can come and you can... Give through the offering envelopes that are in the pews in front of you. Just write uh, designated offering, write debt retirement on the envelope. Or you can go online. We've created a category in the online giving from westmeadows.org where you can allocate that towards debt retirement. Or you can simply stop by the office. And uh, Brenda or one of us will be happy to meet with you and to help you to uh, contribute to this important opportunity that's before us. Just want to also mention that anything above and beyond the 35 that comes in that we need for debt retirement will be going into the general fund to help continue to support the ministries of the church. So, 
I want to invite you to consider how can you, in your year-end giving, contribute to helping us to become free and clear in the new year. I believe we're going to do it, and it's going to be a great celebration when we find ourselves there in January. So I want to invite Paul if he would come pray. Then the worship team is going to come up, and they're going to lead us in, uh, in some more singing as we close out our service with thanksgiving. Dear Lord, I just thank you for um, the great work you've been doing through uh, West Meadows Baptist Church over all the many years. Lord, we, we think of all the salvations that have been uh, and the decisions for you that have been made uh, through the ministry of this church over the years. Lord, we think of the bold faith that uh, the people that uh, bought this piece of land and, and built uh, this incredible structure that we we still worship in today. And Lord, we, we thank you so much for those that have gone before us. Thank you for their faithfulness. Lord, as we, uh, as we think of um, the great gift that you gave to us uh, through your son, Jesus, Lord, we're so thankful for that. And Lord, um, we want to be a people of faith that uh, respond um, worshiping you with all of our being, and, and that includes our finances. And so Lord, uh, we are praying that you would you would provide for for us and our households as we step forward in faith these uh, last couple of weeks of the year, and as we uh, um, we just uh, believe you for great things for in our future. Lord, thank you so much for all that you've done for us and all that you're going to do through us, and uh, we praise your name. Amen.